The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. David wrote that after he had run for his life from the rebellion of his son Absalom. And some of his own men even turned on him. It was at that point he wrote and he said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my heart after thee. I wept, he said, when I remembered how I went with them that kept holy day. David never forgot how vital the house of the Lord was in his life. No wonder he leapt and danced before the Lord when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, back with his people, back in this precious place, to behold his face, his glory, and his beauty. And tonight I do greet you in Jesus' name. The name of whom the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. I have often found it hard to understand why people cannot believe that Jesus is God. Because you know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. God with us. His name shall be called Mighty God, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Bright and Morning Star. I'm glad tonight that we have a connection. And that connection is not just as being Americans. That connection is Jesus Christ. It is being the sons and daughters of God. Amen. Well, we've had a good day, a glorious day. Brother Tim and I went out and played golf. And uh, I got to tell you, your pastor is a tremendous golfer. And whatever successes I had today, I was inspired by him. I was inspired by him. And, and uh, I had a great time fellowshipping with him. And boy, the supper was good. I, I told the ladies back there, I said, this is probably what is going to be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb. La comida mexicana, la comida de cielo es mejor que todo. Y creo que en la día de la cena del Cordero, comeremos la comida mexicana. Eso es. Amen. <laughs> the Mexican people in our Spanish mission in Houston said, you have the skin of a gringo, hermano but you have the heart of a Mexicano. I said, thank you. Thank you very much. I said, I have the stomach of one too. <laughs> Amen. Down here the burdens are heavy and the road seems rough and long. Sometimes my feet get weary and so worn but a brighter day is coming soon i'll step on heaven's shore listen now and i won't have to worry anymore no i won't have to worry when i reach that other shore all my troubles will be over 
and I'll rest forevermore. My eyes will be on Jesus and my heart will be aglow. <laughs> For I won't have to worry anymore. Now, let me tell you why I sang that tonight. It is because of the text. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, this evening, Matthew's gospel, the Messianic gospel of the New Testament written to the Jews. There's three books in the Bible you better get a hold of if you're going to understand Scripture. Genesis, Matthew, and Hebrews. If you want to really understand Scripture, you've got to get a hold of those books. This is a pivotal gospel account. In this chapter we are reading tonight, it is the heart and soul of the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon has also been referred to as the Beatitudes. My daddy used to say it's not the do attitudes and the don't attitudes, it's the Beatitudes. It's the attitudes that just simply ought to be. The greatest preacher that ever mounted a pulpit and preached a sermon, and the greatest sermon that ever was preached is right here in this text that we're reading tonight. The theme of this sermon is very simple. It's found in chapter 5. Now, you don't need to turn there, but I don't want to misquote it. But it's chapter 5 in verse number 20. Here's the theme of this sermon. If you really want to understand this sermon, you have to understand this verse. This, this is the handle. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The theme of this message is true righteousness and what he's telling us is true righteousness is not that which is seen out here. True righteousness is that which starts in here. It's not the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. And among the subjects that Jesus deals with in this message, he deals with the subject of worry. Fear, anxiety. Now, I must say tonight, there's not a one of us that this message won't touch. There's not a one of us tonight that this message will not apply to because there's one thing for sure, dearly beloved, we're all dealing with worry. We're all dealing with fear and anxiety. And if you don't believe so, then you're just in denial. Jesus addresses this subject very clearly. In verse number 25, he says, therefore. Mr. Spurgeon said, anytime you see the word therefore in the scripture, you need to study what it's there for. Because of what he's previously said, he's drawing further conclusions. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. Very important subject, very important phrase right there. Underline that if you will and I want you to see it's going to be quoted five or six times in this text. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. 
nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not ye much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, there it is again, taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought, there it is the third time, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Here it is the fourth time. Take therefore, or therefore, take no thought. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here it is the fifth time. Take therefore no thought. For the morrow, and here it is the sixth time. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. One thing we look for in any contextual paragraph in expositional preaching is repeated phrases. Because in any expositional message, we always have a dominating theme, integrating thoughts and enlightening illustrations. Always. And if you want to know the dominating theme to this contextual paragraph here, it can all be summed up in that one phrase and the variations thereof of take therefore no thought. Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. I got this. I got you covered. (laughs) Everything's going to be all right. I just heard from heaven. And this one thing I know. My sins, they're all forgiven. He washed them white as snow. The load that I once carried, he took away somehow. I just heard from heaven, and it's all right now. Brother, that's what Jesus is telling us here. Don't let worry capture your heart. Don't let worry intimidate you. Don't let worry overwhelm you. I'm on the throne. I'm in control of this. I've got this. Don't worry. That's what he's saying in all simplicity. And so tonight, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the subject of how to win the war with worry. Because, dearly beloved, what I find is it is a battle that we all fight. Some more than others. And some at different times. But nonetheless, this is a battle that has touched us, is touching us, or will touch us. And that is this battle, that that is this war, this struggle with, this tendency on our part to become over-surfeited, to become burdened down and overwhelmed with worry and fear. 
Paul mentioned this as well in relation to prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, he said this. He said, be careful for nothing. That word careful speaks of the care of our daily lives, our daily needs, our daily burdens. It speaks of the load or the weights that are upon us. And he said, be careful for nothing. And it's much akin to this phrase, take therefore no thought. Paul's telling us the same thing that Jesus is telling us. Stop worrying. You can win this war with worry. You can overcome this thing of worry. You can cast it upon the Lord and he will bring you through. That's why Simon Peter said this, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. There's three things I want to break this text down tonight. There's three different things I want to magnify and extract from this text tonight that will help you and I to understand in a better and a clearer way how to win this war with worry. Number one, you and I will look at the things that cause worry. What are the things that cause worry? in our lives. Well, I want to say from the scripture here that we've read, from the text that we've read, sometimes you and I worry about the necessities of life. We do. And Jesus lists those necessities. As a matter of fact, there's a phrase in here that Jesus uses to verbalize what those necessities are, and that phrase is these things. Verse number 32, he talks about your father knows you have these things. In verse number 33, he said, these things shall be added unto you. And what you'll find from this text tonight is these things comprise those things that are the necessities of life. And what are they? Food, water, and clothing. Look what he says here. In verse number 25, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Look what he says down here in verse number 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the necessities of life. I'd say that food is a necessity of life, because if you don't eat, you're going to die. You're going to do the deep six, my friend. We're going to be burying you if you don't eat. The body has to eat. But not only that, water is a necessity. Doctors tell us that if we don't drink a certain amount of water every day, that our liver will crystallize. And ultimately, when your liver quits working, your body's going to quit working. You're going to die. I'd say that food and water comprise the necessities of life. But not just food and water, according to the text tonight, clothes do. Now, I know the way some people don't dress in this world, you'd wonder if clothes are a necessity. But I think by virtue of the fact that we all have them on tonight, <laughs> that it's a necessity in life. 
And the truth is, there are times that we wage a war with that. There are times we worry about that. You fathers know what I'm talking about. You worry about maybe your job and you worry about your welfare and whether or not you're going to be able to feed your families and whether or not you're going to be able to put clothes on their back. But I want to remind you, friend, he feeds the fowls of the air and he clothes the lilies of the field. And don't you know tonight that you and I mean more to him than Flowers and fowls do. Glory be to God. I want to shout on that for a while and thank the Lord tonight that He didn't give a flower a living soul and He didn't give a fowl a living soul, but He gave you and I a living soul and He cares more for us than He does for them. You think He's going to clothe the flowers? You think He's going to feed the fowls and let you and I go hungry? Let you and I go without? No. There's not a friend, boy, I just can't quit saying it, like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one. No, not one sometimes. We wage a war with worry over the necessities of life. But not only do the necessities of life cause this conflict with worry, sometimes the uncertainties of life bring a conflict of or with worry. Look at verse 34. 34 of the text, look what it says. It says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. I would sing, but I've sung enough. But a song sure comes to my mind. For the morrow, the morrow, notice the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. You know what he's saying there, dearly beloved? He's saying, you and I cannot control tomorrow. We don't even know what tomorrow holds, but thank God we know who holds tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of like old John Wayne said one time. Boy, I love the Duke. And he just makes some astounding statements from time to time in his movies that are just downright spiritual. Indeed. I love in the John Chisholm. Boy, I love that movie. And at the end, old Mr. Pepper's reading in the newspaper from Lincoln, New Mexico, and says, There's no God, there's no law, and there's no God west of the Pecos. Mr. Pepper says, Right, Mr. Chisholm? He said, Wrong, Mr. Pepper. He said, No matter how long men live, no matter how far west they go, he said, they'll find that the law is soon to follow and God's already been there. Woo! That's inspiring. <laughs> Preach it, Duke. Preach it. You know what he's saying there, my friend? He's saying what Jesus is telling us tonight. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. I got tomorrow. I live in the realm of tomorrow. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. Solomon said this, boast not thyself tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. 
James in chapter 4 said this, Say not ye, I'll go here and there tomorrow and buy this and that. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Sometimes we do worry about not only the necessities of life, but the uncertainties of life. We do worry about the economy, the stock market, war, famine, pestilence, earthquakes. We do worry about these things that ultimately could affect us. But I'm so glad that we're in His hands tonight. I'm so glad, dearly beloved, that those of us who are saved and in Christ tonight, we're in Him and we're in His hands and nothing shall befall us that He will not allow for our good and His glory. I'm talking about these things that cause this war, conflict with war. We not only worry about the necessities of life, we not only worry about the uncertainties of life, but sometimes, and you know, I might even venture to say in this day and age, we worry about this more than the other two. Sometimes we worry about the trivialities of life. So what do you mean, preacher? I'm talking about those things that really have no eternal value at all. Those things that don't make a difference in the world as to the salvation of a soul or eternal reward, sometimes we do worry about those trivial things. Look in verse 27. Which of you by worrying, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? I'd say that's pretty trivial. What you got is a man with Napoleon syndrome. He's five foot six and he wants to be five foot seven. That's what he's saying. Study it. He just wants to be one inch taller. And yet tonight, dearly beloved, I believe in our churches that many of our people are not just plagued with worry over necessities and uncertainties. Many are plagued with worry over trivialities. And will I be able to get this job and buy this house and have this car? Will my children have this social status in life? And we become so consumed with that that it distracts us. And the next thing we know, our walk with God is affected. Which leads me to this point. Not only does Jesus magnify and manifest the causes of worry, but Jesus magnifies here in these verses the complications with worry. Worry brings some severe complications into our life. I'd say it does. There are people tonight that are drawing off into dark rooms and closing the curtains because of the complications that worry has brought to their life. There are people that are, and I'm not minimizing this, nor am I making fun, but I believe we can all relate to this. There are people that are spending thousands of dollars on money, on medicines to try to help them to cope with life and the worries and the burdens of life. And the sad thing about it is all they treat is the symptoms, not the problem. 
There are people tonight that are spending hundreds if not thousands of dollars lying on the couches of psychologists trying to figure out life and what's gone wrong? What did your mom and daddy do wrong? What has society done to you? And they're over surfeited and overwhelmed with worry. They've taken their eyes off Jesus. They've become defeated in their Christian walk. Yeah, I'd say that worry brings some severe complications in our life. And Jesus talks about three of them. Number one, worry is a waste. It's a waste. Waste of what, preacher? Well, that phrase, taking thought, and I want to magnify the phrase in verse 27 because he's talking about being consumed with the trivialities of life, but that phrase, taking thought, magnifies the idea of time and energy. It's a waste of time and energy, of the time we spend withdrawing into our own little old cocoons, being consumed with our problems, being consumed with our worries, cutting ourselves off from our families, cutting ourselves off from our churches, cutting ourselves off from life in general, being consumed with our worries and fears. But not only time, but energy. Not just physical energy, but mental energy and emotional energy. This so drains us that we don't even want to get up and go to work in the morning. When it comes time to go to church, we don't even have the energy to go to the house of God. Because we've wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to take care of things that we can never take care of on our own. One fellow said it like this. He said, you know what worry is? Worry is taking responsibility for things that don't belong to you. Well, preacher, those are my problems. No, those are his problems. You know what Jesus is saying? Give me your problems. Cast your problems on me. I died on the cross for every one of them. I came out of the grave to win victory. Give me your problems. I've got broad shoulders. I can bear this load when you can't. And you stop and think about it. That same time and energy we spend dwelling on our problems. That same time and energy we spend trying to cope with and rationalize how we're going to work our way through this. If we took that same time and energy and we went into the throne room of grace and we told it to Jesus and we casted all our care upon Him, would you not agree with me tonight? Would you not say it would be far more beneficial to tell it to Jesus and cast it upon Him rather than waste it upon what we cannot do? No wonder the writer of Hebrews, and I believe it was Paul, who had a greater grasp of the old covenant and the new covenant than Paul did. Paul said this, seeing we have such an high priest. And he's talking about Melchizedek. You know who Melchizedek was? He was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. They're called Christophanes. He appeared to Abraham. 
after the slaughter of the kings and he bowed, Abraham bowed and paid tithes to him and worshipped him. He was called Prince of Salem in the Hebrew language. It's Shalom. It's Prince of Peace. He didn't have beginning of days nor ending of days. He had no mother, no father. He had no descent. And he said, seeing we have such an high priest that is entered into the heavens for us, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help us, help us in time of need. Quit wasting your time on things that aren't going to help one iota of an amount. And tell it to Jesus. Give it to him. (coughs) Is this easy? No. (coughs) Because sometimes we throw our problems out like a fishing line. It's got a big old hook in them and we reel it back. You know, we do have that tendency. But I love the way those Jews cast those nets. They take that net and put it above their head and they cast that whole net into the sea. Brother, that's what we need to do. We just need to cast the whole net into the sea. We need to cast it all Let me say this, not only is worry, I'm talking about complications with worry. Not only does Jesus magnify that it's a waste, but Jesus magnifies that it's worthless. Which of you, verse 27, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, no matter how much you want to be an inch taller, when you wake up in the morning, you're still going to be five foot seven. It's not going to change anything. It's worthless. And the truth is, folk, that's what worry does. It expends all this time and energy. We waste it trying to handle these things ourselves. And yet when it's all over and said and done, we're still bearing the same problem. And I'm not saying God's going to take the problem away from you. I love 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common unto man. But God, who is faithful, who will also with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know what he's saying? I'm not going to take you around it. I'm not going to take you under it or over it. I'm going to take you right through it. You know what I've learned down through the years? That in the face of those kind of temptations, God will either lessen the intensity of the temptation or God will heighten our capacity to be able to deal with it. I'll tell you what, if worrying would change anything, you know what I'd worry about? I'd worry about the same thing the rest of these men that are follically challenged like I am would worry about. I'd worry about hair. When I go home, it won't be this week, it'll be next week, when I carry my suitcase down the hallway to our bedroom, there'll be a picture, dear brother, hanging on the left wall. And it'll be me and my wife, my beautiful wife, and me with my flowing hair blowing in the wind. We got married outside in my, my wife's parents' backyard. And boy, I love to look at that picture, and all those curls are just blowing in the wind. And if you believe that, I got swampland in Colorado. I want to sell you. No, I didn't have curly hair blowing in the wind, but I had more than I got now. My father-in-law was a hairdresser. He was. My mother-in-law was a beautician, and my father-in-law was a hairdresser. He looked at me one day. He said, Mark, I can help you with that. I said, with what, Herb? 
with your baldness. I said, you making fun of me? He said, I said, well, how can you help? He said, I can buy a hair piece and I can weave it into the hair on the side. He said, or I can shoot these seeds into your scalp and fertilize it. I thought, man, are you a farmer or a barber? What are you? And I can grow hair. You know what I told him? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm talking about complications with worry. And the truth is, worry is a waste. All the time and energy we spend and expend battling with it. We need to learn how to take it to the throne room of grace. That's where the joy of the Lord. And after all that time and energy we spend battling it, truth is it's not going to change anything. Let me tell you what does change things. Prayer changes things. And where prayer doesn't change the circumstances you're going through, prayer will change you. You see, Paul took that thorn in the flesh to the throne room of grace and he asked God to take it away. I believe it was his eyes. I believe. I just tore some equipment up, but I'll keep going. Paul, I'm going to leave that with you because if I don't, you'll get proud. But if I leave that with you, it'll keep you humble and draw you to my feet. I think sometimes, folks, I really do with all of my heart. Sometimes God doesn't take those problems away, but he leaves them there to change us, to grow us, to cultivate us, and to make us more like Jesus. You see, it is in the vices of life that God does his best work. It is in the fiery furnaces. It is in the lion's dens. It is in the pits. And it is in the prisons that God does his best work in our lives. And I'm talking about those complications with worry. Not only is it a waste, and not only is it worthless, but it's wrong. Now, let me clarify that. I'm not saying it's wrong to worry. I'm not saying it's wrong to battle with it. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a struggle with it. My daddy, I remember one time I said, Daddy, I'm having these problems with these bad thoughts. I don't want to think these thoughts. I felt condemned about it. And I said, Daddy, is it wrong? He said, Son, a bird can fly over your head. Just don't let him make a nest there. I thought, well, that's some good homespun knowledge and wisdom. Folks, it's not wrong to worry, to fight with it, to battle it. Let me tell you where worry becomes wrong. It becomes wrong when it displaces faith in our life. Let me show you this right here. Look what Jesus says. He says in verse number 30, Wherefore God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? You see, worry is not wrong within and of itself, but worry is wrong when we allow it to take our eyes off Jesus. When we allow it, dearly beloved, to manipulate us by our feelings and by our circumstances and by what we can see. Paul said this in Romans chapter 14 and verse 23. He said, whatsoever is not of faith is sin." And in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6, he said, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Oh, it's not wrong 
to battle with faith. Invariably, every time I preach this message, I'll get to talking to somebody after the message and they'll, the word worry will come up and they'll go, oh, I'm sorry, preacher, I know I'm not supposed to worry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's going to bring a battle into your life. And don't let the devil, don't let the world, and don't let the flesh win. Don't let your worries displace faith in your life. Don't let your worries bring you to a tendency to allow the, what you can see and what you can feel to manipulate you. Folk, I've seen these things take people out of church. I've seen these things take people out of the house of God. I've seen these things take people away from intimacy with Jesus Christ and a closer walk with Him. Not only does Jesus magnify the causes of worry, those necessities, uncertainties, those trivialities of life, the complications with worry that it'll bring into our life, the, the waste of time and energy, the worthlessness of it, and the fact that it can be wrong when it displaces faith in our life. But I'm glad Jesus also gives us the cure for worry. He tells us how it's cured. Boy, I love that about Jesus, don't you? He never gives us the bad news that he doesn't give us the good news. And I'm so glad greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. I'm glad that all of his promises are yea tonight. I'm glad he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in Jesus leaves us with the cure for worry. He tells us what cures worry, and there is a threefold factor here that cures worry. Number one, you and I need to embrace the focus factor tonight. Look at verse 33. But seek ye first. But seek ye first. Let me give you an illustration of what this means. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary, on Hebrews chapter 11, and you know that commentary where, no, chapter 12 where it says, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race with patience. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And then look what he says, looking unto Jesus. I love what Mr. Spurgeon said about that. He said, that is not a casual glance. That is a concentrated gaze. He said, my dear people, the Christian life is just one long look at Jesus. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. You want to cure worry in your life? You want to win this war with worry? Then turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look away from yourselves. Look away from the circumstances. Do what Jesus said daily. Take up your cross and follow Him. Jesus said very clearly in the Scripture that if we're going to follow Him, we must die to ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. I just want to encourage you today, dearly beloved, that the things which are are not made of the things which appear. The devil will magnify the circumstances in your life and try to intimidate you and tell you that it's bigger than you are. Agree with him. It's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than him there is the focus factor 
but seek first. He's not talking about places as though there's a first place, second place, third place. He's talking about preeminence. Preeminence not first place. Preeminence is the place in your but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know what Jesus is saying there? You look at me and I'll take care of you. You take care of my business and I'll take care of your business. You look at me and keep your eyes on me. You keep coming to the house of God. You stay in this book. You stay on your knees. You walk with me and don't worry about these things. I'll take care. There is the focus factor. But I'll tell you another cure for this worry. Not only the focus factor, there's the father factor. Boy, I like what he said here. Up around verse 30. I believe it's 30 or 31. Look what he says. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And look what he says here. For your heavenly father knoweth you have need of these things. There is the father factor. First of all, there's the father's perception. I used to tell my people all the time, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Did you know nothing ever sneaks up on his blind side? You, you never see God saying, oh, I didn't see that coming. He used to tell our people, life is like a parade. We see it one float at a time. God sees the whole parade beginning to end. And sometimes we'll get to worried about this and that, and we need to be reminded not only to focus on Him and keep our eyes upon Him, but we need to be reminded of the Father's perception. He knows what we have need of, my friend, and all He's waiting for you and I to do is to ask Him. Well, I look in Matthew chapter 7. Let me show you this. I love this. In chapter 7 of the book of Matthew, verse 9, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father give good things to those that God may not give you your wants, but he will meet your needs. And you know what I found down through the years? If you let him meet your needs, sometimes he'll give you some of the things you want, too. It's just like whipped cream on top of a Chick-fil-A milkshake. Oh, if you've not had a Chick-fil-A milkshake, you don't know what a milkshake is. Indeed. I'll go buy a Chick-fil-A. And you know, used to, the voice would come over the intercom. Now they're standing out there waiting for you with their iPads. They're ready to take your offer, your order and everything. But every time I ever order a milkshake, they say, do you want whipping cream and a cherry on top of that? <laughs> Woo! I love to suck that thing down until there's nothing but the whipped cream. I eat it with a straw. <laughs> and I'll take that cherry and just Bite that delectable morsel off the end of that stem. Relish every chew that I take of such a heavenly blessing as that cherry. 
I'm glad to tell you sometimes, folks, God doesn't just give you the milkshake. Sometimes he'll give you the whipping cream and the cherry on top. We have the Father's perception. He already knows. And we have the Father's promise, and that is if you'll seek me, I'll add these things to you. I'm talking about those things that cure worry. Not only is there the focus factor, just fixating upon Jesus, denying yourself denying what you can see with these eyes, living like Moses who chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Not only the father factor, his perception and his promise, but then there is the faith factor. Now, a while ago, I used the word faith in verse number 30. I want to use the word little it comes right before faith as I close this message out. When you use the word little here, friend, I don't think he's talking about the amount of our faith. When God saved you, when God saved every one of us, according to the scripture, he gave all of us a measure of faith. I don't think the problem is whether or not we have enough faith. I think the problem is whether or not we utilize the faith we have. And the reason why I say that, because over in the city of Capernaum, and I've been there twice, I've stood in Capernaum, and I've seen the mustard seed plants, and I've seen the millstones, I've seen the Golan Heights and the Sea of Galilee. You could stand there and throw a rock and hit the Golan Heights and throw a rock into the Sea of Galilee. And I remember the things that Jesus said there, and one of the things he said that if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, and there's the Golan Heights right there, be thou removed and cast into this sea, and there's the Sea of Galilee. It thrilled my soul. Well, all over the city of Capernaum, Capernaum, there is mustard seed plants. And before I left, I bought me a flask of mustard seeds. I have them in my study today. There's a little glass flask, and you can take the top off, and you can pour them out into your hand, and they're so small, Brother Tim, that I can't pick them up with my big old fingers. I have to press them and turn them over. Now, this is why I believe Jesus isn't talking about the amount of our faith. He didn't say faith the size of a mustard seed. He said the grain of a mustard seed. That small amount of faith will move mountains. Well, let me ask you a question tonight. If that amount of faith, and you know what that faith is? It's microscopic. I got to studying that and looking at that, and it's something that you can't even see with the negative. This is how powerful faith is. Faith that you can't even see with the naked eye will move mountains into oceans. Well, if that be the case, then just sm how small does our faith or how small does our tendency to use our faith have to be to let worry defeat us and to let worry overcome our Christian world? the place where we get out of church. We get bitter at God. We even get mad at God sometimes. We believe God's done us a raw deal. Here I've given my life and given everything to Christ and he's done me a raw deal. No, God's not done you a raw deal. God's just wanting to show you more of him and what he can do. He's wanting you to learn how to trust him. He's wanting to deepen your faith and extend your walk with him. 
That's why I sang that song at the beginning of this message. Because one day I won't have to worry anymore. I'm worried about some things tonight. I worry about my family all the time. I worry about my children, my grandchildren, this world that we live in today. I think of the Lord taking me home and my grandchildren growing up in this world. I worry about America, its plight and what lies ahead. But I'm glad, thank God, one day I won't have to worry anymore. But until then, dearly beloved, what the Lord wants me to know is it's all right. It's okay. I got this. I'm in control. And friend, I'm going to tell you, that'll put some joy in your soul. That'll put some vim in your step. That'll put some vigor in your heart to know that our God is in control. May the Lord bless you tonight. Get your heads up tonight. Home church, get your heads up. As bad as it may seem, weeping endureth for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Get your heads up. God is on the throne. I would not even venture to say that you're not going through hard times and difficult times and difficult circumstances, but don't take responsibility for these things. Don't take it upon yourself. Cast it upon Him, for He careth for you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let us...